0: The Coon Hound Collective Podcast is brought to you by CZ Welding and Custom Dog Boxes. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Check these guys out today. This is your host, Jason Snurgrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coon Hound Collective. Podcast. <laughs> welcome to the coon hound collective podcast today today's going to be a little bit different interview than what we normally have on here is we're not going to talk about coon dogs today we are going to talk about a dog that trees squirrels and i'm gonna let mr ben hill he's here with me today and i'm gonna let him tell you about uh falcony something i've seen on instagram some some pretty good videos very interesting and uh But first off, we're going to let Ben tell us a little bit about himself and and where you're from. And how's it going today, Ben?
1: I'm doing very well. I appreciate you inviting me on the show.
0: Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Won't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of where you're from?
1: All right. Well, my name is Ben Hill. I'm 39 years old. Raised uh, within 20 miles of Athens, Georgia. Uh, I've been a sportsman my whole life, you know. I guess I really took off when I was about 20, 21 years old, got big into deer hunting, you know, and uh you know, got nice deer on the wall from both a gun and a bow and arrow. And I have just I've enjoyed the the worst pretty much my whole life.
0: Yeah, I've seen some pictures on your Instagram page of some deer and some other game that that you have taken. Um but, you know, the re- the reason why I reached out to you is because something that I I found very interesting is is these birds and this dog that you have? So, without keeping anybody else in uh, suspense, won't you, uh, won't you go ahead and kind of explain to us um, some of the history and, and kind of what what you got there on the birds? And when it comes time, you can tell us about your dog.
1: Okay. Well, a lot of people in the United States have never really heard of the sport that I practice because it is a you can consider it almost a form of art. I mean, just like poon hunting, it is a form of art. But the art that I practice is called falconry. And when I tell people about falconry, people automatically say, oh, well, you hunt with a falcon. No, that's not necessarily true. The definition of falconry, if you look it up, is it is defined by hunting game and its natural habitat by the means of a trained raptor. With That being said, this is actually one of the oldest hunting sports in the world. This sport was originated somewhere around 4,000 years ago. And based on pictorial records is thought that it had originated either in asia or the middle east so the term falconry is a very broad term for our sport that term falconry covers all trained birds of prey so you have hawks, eagles falcons and owls so in all four of these animals in that you hunt with is dictated strictly by what you have available for you to hunt with them. For instance, we move to falcons. Some of the common species throughout the United States are the peregrine falcon, the saker, the geer falcon, and the American kestrel, which is actually America's smallest falcon. The peregrine falcon is hands down the fastest member of the animal kingdom. They can reach speeds at 240 plus miles an hour in a stoop. So if you had a falcon, typically you would be hunting quail, partridge, pheasants, uh, any avian species, ducks, uh, waterfowl. This is what falcons hunt 99.9% of the time is avian species. So me being from Georgia, unfortunately, I don't have quail. I don't have pheasants. What ducks I do have are not enough to try to hunt. So what I hunt with here in the state of Georgia is a red-tailed hawk. The common species are the red Redtail Hawks in America, the Harris Hawks, hoopers, and the goshawks. Uh, the cool thing about redtails is they inhabit every single continent except Antarctica. Uh, Harris Hawks, they're found in the Midwest. They're very popular in falconry because of the fact Harris Hawks can hunt together uh, in a family pack, as you would see. So they're actually known as wolves of the skies, as they are one of the only raptors that hunt in packs. So now we move to Eagles. We all know what Eagles are. We have, they're very big, powerful animals. Uh, the golden Eagle is the most common Eagle used in Falcon, Bald Eagles. They have very, uh, they have a fat temperament, so they're really not good for falconry, uh, because even though they do target mammals, a lot of their diet are fish. Um, golden Eagles, there are some licensed golden Eagles, uh, falconers in the States, uh, you have to be a master class falconer to have an eagle. We'll get into that later. But golden eagles are typically hunted out west where you have jackrabbits, where you have large game. Your average golden eagle could weigh eight, nine pounds, and so can your average blacktail, whitetail jackrabbit that you have out west. So if you hunt with an eagle, odds are you're hunting big game in America, like a jackrabbit or something like that. So the last but not least are owls. As we all know, owls are. Nocturnal, they hunt at night, versus diurnal, which are your eagles, your hawks, and your falcons. Just because of the fact they are night hunters, as we all, if we, uh, they all hunt by stealth. They are from almost 100% completely silent flight, and that's how they hunt. Uh, very few falconers are successful hunting with owls because of that fact. They are primed to hunt at nighttime. We keep up with our birds using bells and things like that. So when she makes a move, I hear her bells. Uh, it would be very almost impossible for a falconer to hunt with an owl at nighttime with bells on because they hunt strictly out of stuff. Out of all the four of them listed here, they are considered apex predators. Birds of prey are at the top of the food chain. These animals show no fear. They show no pain or emotion. And uh, <clears throat> the way you train these animals is pretty much through their appetite. They are very food-driven animals. So they're controlled through their appetite. So when you actually get your bird trained, we'll kind of get into that in a moment. Well, uh, okay, well, we'll go ahead and cover training. So uh, we actually trap these birds from the wild once you get your permits and begin training. So the first thing you must do is you have to gain this animal's trust. You have to prove to it that You're not gonna hurt it. You're gonna feed it, you're gonna water it, and you're gonna give it housing, the three things that animal needs to live and survive. So during training, I offer the animal food. The more the animal eats from me, the more trust it is gaining. So once training is kind of progressing here, I'm actually dropping the weight of the bird to get a response. Now, some people kind of say, oh, well, you starve these birds. No, we don't starve these animals. Once they're trained in hunting, they are more like performance athletes. We take, let's say, an obese human, and we work them out. We, we drop their food intake. We pretty much drop the fat off of them to where they're lean muscle. And that's what we want these birds when we hunt, because it also gives them the drive to hunt. So through training, once the bird is actually eating from my glove, every couple days, I'll just step back and then I'll have the bird fly to me. And of course, it's on a tether. Um, And then uh, once you get that instant response of food, you know that bird's coming to your glove. That's pretty much when you're ready to hunt. So when you get to hunt with them, uh, the bird actually follows the falconer through the woods because during that three to four week period of training, One thing you have instilled into that bird's head is that you are its food source. So when we go hunting, the bird completely free flies. At any time, that bird, with her own thinking capabilities, her own personality, is like, hey, I'm out of here, and just fly out. But the bird has learned to trust you. The bird has learned that, hey, that's an easy food source. And it's walking through the woods, and it's walking away from it. I need to keep up with my food source. So that's kind of how the bird follows you you want the bird hungry when you start hunting you don't want it starving of course starving birds do not have nowhere near the energy to hunt so it's my responsibility while we're going through the woods is to try to flush game for her so myself and my dog go through the woods we shake vines we shake trees just to try to flush a squirrel so she stays 60 70 feet in the treetops and every 50 60 yards till what we call follow-up, which means she'll fly close to me in a tree, close, you know, usually in 20 yards and, you know, 50, 60 feet above me. So hunting dogs play a very vital role in falconry. They can flush more game than a human ever will. If you are not with dogs, you know that. Their nose plays a huge role in how to flush game. So I want to take just a moment to tell you about my dog and how he came into my life. So when I become involved in falconry back in 2014, 2015, my wife and I made an agreement. She said, "Honey, I will support you one hundred percent in your falconry endeavor." I asked that you allow me to adopt a puppy from the pound, and I was like, "Deal, hands down, deal, I, I, absolutely." You take care of the dog; I'll take care of the bird. It's a win-win for both of us. So, Commander here was brought home. Five days after, I brought home my very first redtail from the wild. And um, as the the dog grew, he would always stand outside the window just barking squirrels. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So uh, By now, this is probably November of that year. I've already been successful with my very first bird catching squirrels. And my sponsor, who we'll get into later, said, hey, you got that little hunt dog. You should, you know, put him under the bird. I was like, well, what, what could it hurt? <clears throat> so I start taking commander to the woods with us. I didn't have to train this dog at all, other than your simple sit, stay, shake come, load up. His hunting capabilities, I have no clue where they came from. But from the first time I put him in the woods under that hog, they became a pet And that and this little dog right here flushed so much game that I would have never seen. And it just amazes me because he was six weeks old when I got him, and the vet told us, or the, excuse me, the animal shelter told my wife he was a, a Dachshund Terrier mix. And he's he's still a little guy. I mean, he's short, you know, but maybe 35, 38 pounds. But um, he is now my best friend. I have personally never had a hunting dog until now. And he's a family companion as well. So, um Every time I hunt, he has got he's he is there with me, so he is part of the team. So uh, they play a very big role. A lot of people I know in falconry, they do hunt their birds under under dogs. So went over that how we hunt, the bird follows me through the woods. It's my job and my dog's job to flush game for the bird. So if she's following the food source, if we flush a rabbit or a squirrel, we're still supplying that food. But now she's got to catch it and bring that squirrel to the ground or pin that rabbit to the ground. So the bird is trained. We've been hunting. We caught a squirrel. So once my bird catches a squirrel, let's say she catches two instances. She catches one in the tree. Nine times out of ten, she'll spread her wings and do a helicopter. She'll just gradually spin down all the way to the ground. We go to her, us as falconers, we go to our birds as quick as we possibly can. To help her dispatch the quarry, and the reason behind that is, for one, we want the bird to know that we are there to help it. Secondly, when a even in the wild, when a raptor catches a squirrel or whatever they're after, that's it's not an instant death for the prey. Uh, Squirrels, it could take a raptor thirty seconds. It could take a raptor up to a few minutes for them to completely dispatch a squirrel on their own. So. That's why we go to them is help them dispatch. The quicker we can go to them and help dispatch that quarry, the less likely they are to get injuries. But if you're wondering what injuries could a squirrel do, a squirrel can crack open a chestnut with their jaws and their teeth, and their teeth are pointed, and they're not necessarily sharp, but they have a tremendous amount of pressure behind them. A, a wrong bite on a raptor's toe could leave that toe completely useless if it serves the tendon that toe will be completely useless so squirrels are considered dangerous game well what about a rabbit what about a rabbit is dangerous well a rabbit will buck. they can kick really hard uh, the most of the rabbits that my bird catches almost to the almost to the ground is just as heavy as my bird so I have a 1200 ground bird and I have a 1200 ground rabbit and that rabbit could kick my bird really hard, break her wing, break her leg. So that's why we get to them as quick as we can. We get them actually dispatch the cat. So after the actual dispatch is done, the prey is completely dispatched. We trade these animals off because that prior to the 1600s or 1700s when people use raptors, if they want a small game to eat, they had to use the raptor. Well, of course, if they catch a squirrel, the falconer, and that feeds their back in our family. So even hundreds of even thousands of years ago, we trade these animals off the exact same way as for. they They're trained to accept a lure reward. And on this lure is usually a 10 to 20 gram chunk of meat. So the, when the bird sees that little chunk of meat, 20 grams don't sound like a lot. But on squirrels especially, they have very tough hives. It could take a raptor you know, 30, 45 seconds to break in the skin and begin eating which typically that's going to be in the armpit, front armpit area of a squirrel. That's where their fur and their skin is least thick. So the bird almost expects that reward when they catch game. So when I toss that little bag, I'll have my glove hand on the squirrel. When I toss that bag out, the bird releases the squirrel and goes to that bag. because so She gets instant satisfaction. She gets fed instantly for her, for her catch. So that's how falconers actually get the prey that the raptor catches for them. So, uh, falconry is actually one of the highest regulated sports in all of America, hands down. Uh, so, some of the legal requirements we'll go over right quick. Uh, the first thing to do to really get your foot in the door for falconry is that you must take an exam of 105 questions administered through the, through the United States Fish and Wildlife Services. And you must make it 80 percentile or better on that exam in order to consider yourself passed On this uh, the exam, it goes over everything about the related The birds themselves, different species, the diseases they can get, some of the home remedies you can do with them. Husbandry, which husbandry is pretty much being sure your bird is well taken care of. And a you know, and secure, being sure they feel comfortable. That's husband, pretty much. Uh, a couple of other things that you do uh, once you can do actually take the test and pass it. Uh, the test goes over, like I said, it goes over everything. Doctor related, prefers a um, frame. A lot of stuff that you have to study, and it took me about six months of studying just to pass the test. So let's say you actually took the test and you passed it. The next thing you must do is secure a sponsor. A sponsor's duty is to provide help, advice, and assistance for the those two years of an apprenticeship. So if you get into the falconry and you secure a sponsor, you would then be an apprentice. So potential sponsors must hold a general or a master class license. We'll get to that or we'll get to that in a moment. Some of the legal equipment that you must have before you get your license are the anklets, which are the leather pieces that go around the bird's leg you got to have one set of the slitted and non-slitted jesses. The jesses are the leather pieces that hang down from the ankles. You have to have a lure, a perch, a scale, a creance. So a creance is falconry term for really long dog it's like, it's like made a paracord. I got like a two and a half pound piece of wood on the other end. That's what sort I of hooked my bird during training outside before she's ready to play fly. You must have a swivel which the swivel recommended for a female redtail is a Sampo swivel. They're known for very, very heavy-duty stuff, uh, offshore leaders. You must have a bath bathpan and a muse. Muse is where you house the bird. It's like a falconry term for really big birdhouse. The birdhouse, the muse, must be large enough for the bird to flap its wings from perch to perch. Uh, Typically, an 8-foot square will be sufficient. I actually built mine 10 by 10 by 8-foot tall. You must have vertical bars for the windows. Uh, Half the roof of it can be open, as long as you, of course, run half-inch wood on the top of it. And that way, you kind of have an open and closed closed enclosure. And you must have sufficient purchase, of course, in the Mew itself. But once you have passed your test, you have secured a sponsor you have all of your legal equipment that you must have. The next thing you would do is call your local DNR agent. Say, hi, my name is Ben Hill. Uh, I need to get my falconry stuff inspection. So you would actually call your local DNR agent and what they would do is they would come to your home and they would evaluate your equipment and your mutes. Of course, this is a scheduled inspection. So as of now, you've taken your test. You've obtained your sponsor you got all your equipment plus some, and you've had your inspection. If everything goes well, within three to four weeks, you will get an email or something in the mail from your local DNR saying you have your permit to trap a bird. So pretty much what you get sent in the mail is your trapping permit, and it is your falconry license. So you and your sponsor go trap a bird. But before you do that, I mentioned the legal equipment that you must have. So I went over the anklets, the jesses, the lure, hurt, scale, three inch swivel, bath hand, the muse, and the leash. Well, you got to think are you going to hold that bird uh, on your hand without a glove? No, sir. You need a gauntlet or a falconry glove. My glove is actually like six layers of cowhide, and that way the talons will not pierce through it. You also have to have a hunting vest. You have to have a giant hood, which is what you tra- put the bird in as you travel. And you also have to have a first aid kit for your bird which is typically uh, children's Benadryl in case they get snake bit or they crash into a ant pile or something like that. Uh, we use silver, in replacement of neosporin for bites. Uh, Betadine for it to keep infections down if they do get bit, things like that. Uh, you know, cotton swabs, just things like that. Just a first aid kit strictly for your bird that you can carry with you while you're out hunting. So, <laughs> excuse me, trapping is probably one of the funnest things in this sport. Because you literally go out and trap a wild bird off the side of the road. And you would think, well, you, you trap on the side of the road? Yes. We are the only sportsmen in America that can legally use the right of way of the road for trapping. So our trap is kind of consistent of a wire cage. We put a gerbil in, and all over this cage is monofilament slip knots, uh, i.e., 50 pound test. And so the objective is, is Nine times out of ten, when you see a red-tailed hawk that we're speaking of, you're going to see it perched up on a power line, and you literally just go down the same side of the road the bird is on. You put the tree, you just put the trap out on the right away, and you drive off. But you keep, you typically you're going to trap with your sponsor, so one of you will always keep your eye on that bird as you're driving the You get hundred plus yards down the road, you turn around and you watch that bird and you watch that trap. Once that bird commits to the trap, it'll come off that pole, and it'll start footing at the trap. And eventually, its foot or its toe is going to stick itself into one of those nooses, pull back, and you got them. Now, typically, these animals weigh two and a half pounds. A trap weighs four pounds. <laughs> Excuse me. That means they can drag it a little bit, but there's no way they're going to get vertical lift and fly off with a trap. So even a large red tail can barely carry her own body weight. So if I have a... 1200 ground, red pill, she's not going to get vertical lift with a 1200 ground rabbit. She may get one or two feet off the ground and go 40, 50 yards, but there's no way she could get vertical that high. Owls on the other hand, they have a chance of doing that. They can lift a lot more of their body weight. <laughs> Excuse me. So the classes of Falconry, once you do attain your sponsor and you get your license, you are an apprentice for your first two years. Now, after your two years is up, it will be up to your sponsor whether or not he or she thinks okay this person in two years has learned how to consistently catch game with the raptor if that decision is made then your sponsor will upgrade you to general license so as an apprentice you're allowed one bird and that's typically going to be one of three species here in the states 99.9% of us start with a red-tailed hawk other people can also purchase a Harris Hawk. I believe in the state of Georgia it is, you can't purchase a Harris Hawk for your first bird. And the American Test which is the America's smallest falcon. Uh, you have to micromanage their weight. I do not recommend it to anybody that wants to start in falconry. Red tails are hands down the best bird to start with. And they're some of the favorite birds in my first opinion. I will always fly red tailed hawk. They're they're big, they're robust, they're they're kind of like a tank. It, she may be a little slow getting there, but she hits hard. And that's why we chase squirrels with these animals, because they are big. They can take they can take bites on their feet. Their feet are, and their toes are just really large in diameter. Um, so, you know, I said they are a dangerous game, and, you know, they have to learn foot placement in order not to get be bitten. And typically they'll learn that in the first half of the season. Once your bird starts catching squirrels, it's going to learn to keep, catch that squirrel without being bit. So um, once you get into general class, that allows you to own three raptors. That includes owls, falcons, and hawks. You cannot own a eagle just yet. You have to wait until you're a master class falconer to do that. So you will stay a, a general from your second year, excuse me, from your second year, at first year's general, third season as a, as a uh, falconer, seven years So as of now you pretty much have eight years experience under your belt my math is um, after you complete your time in general typically this varies by states but in the state of georgia you must have at least two other master falconers recommend your upgrade to master class so after next year i am eligible for upgrade i have to have eight seasons under my belt this i'm fixing to complete my seventh season now after that, after that season, I request to upgrade to master. Uh, there will have to be two other master falconers that agree that I'm, I guess you could say, ready for master class. And the only thing that really changes is if your pockets are deep enough, you can get an eagle. Uh, the only way you can get an eagle from the wild is if uh, you have a state where eagles are depraving on farm, wild on a farm species. So you actually request for a predation, predation permit, which would actually allow you to trap a juvenile uh, golden eagle in the States. Other than that, you would definitely have to, to buy an eagle. So uh, some of the more frequently asked questions about these animals are, uh, can you pet them? Well, unfortunately my bird trusts only myself and myself only. So if you get close enough to her, sh- I'd much rather bite you than foot you. Uh, these animals have incredible pressure in their toes. That's something I didn't go over, so I will go over that now. Uh, their beak is typically not their weapon on a hawk. Their feet are their true weapons. They have four hyperdermic needle-sharp talons on each foot. And my red tail has every bit of 350 psi on her feet. So when she grabs a squirrel, she's putting every bit of her strength into that squirrel. So that's how they dispatch them in the wild. The squirrel can exhale, but then it cannot inhale because of the pressure on its chest. Do they bite? Yes, they, they will bite. But you're talking, you know, 40, 50 PSI versus 350 plus feet. Will they bring you what they catch back to you? Uh, no, they won't. We uh, discussed this typically when they catch game. That game is also struggling for its life. So I go to them as quick as I can to help her dispatch that catch. Uh, Another question I get asked is, how do I prep their food? What do they eat? Well, my bird eats everything she catches. And when I say everything, let's say I have a squirrel. The only thing I discard are the paws. I cut right at the, right at the ankles, the tail, and the digestive tract. The so hearts, lungs, liver, kidneys, that gets fed as soon as we get home. The bones, the fur, the skull, the teeth, everything else on that squirrel will be eating eaten by my bird. On rabbits same thing the only thing I do is I cut off the feet and I take out the digestive tract hearts, lungs liver kidneys that gets fed to her fresh as soon as we get home uh, it's I don't know what it was about falconry that just I took to like a fish to water uh, you know some people do get into this and invest a lot of time and effort and it just it just doesn't click with them they can't figure out how to Train their bird, or they just—they're just not a successful. And it happens. Um, I was lucky enough where I was in my very first season. My first bird caught like fifty some squirrels. Which my sponsor, who is now fifteen years into the sport, like, Ben, I've never heard of any apprentice in the first year in their first bird catching fifty plus heads a game. Most people catch you know, you caught twenty or thirty in your first year. You—you're you, doing great. So." And I guess this is one of those things I just, I just felt like I, was, I learned it fast and I was I was kind of good at it and it's just It's definitely changed my lifestyle as you can imagine because you know in the back of my head every day I know I have to you know be sure this animal has a Clean place to stay. I got to be sure she's got fresh water. I got to be sure I've prepped her food and you know thought her food out and things like that um, so I don't see myself really ever getting out of it until my feet can no longer carry my body. Uh, another good question that I get asked is, you know, how much they weigh. You know, I said earlier, they weigh, you know, two and a half pounds. Well, excuse me for using the commie system here, but I use grams because it's so much easier to say uh, my bird weighs 1175 grams versus, you know, two pounds, 14 ounces and, and whatever that equates to. So I, use the, I do use the metric system. A lot of Falconers in the States do. Uh, like I said, it's a good simple fact is easier for me to reading in grams versus pounds and ounces uh, Do the birds like me? That's you know, it's another question. I get asked a lot as the relationship between myself and the bird and the relationship between the bird and To me and the bird to the dog There was a relationship. Absolutely. I would be lying if I said I didn't love my bird honestly uh, just because of the fact that I have spent a lot of time with her. Now, does she see that in me? Absolutely not. I am a food source to her, and that's all I am. And there the bond that I have with this particular animal is a strict hunting bond. She knows that, especially this time of year, nine times out of ten, we hunt almost every day. When I go to her mute and I get her out, she knows what's going on. She knows. She sits still, I put her equipment on, she gets on the glove, we go to the truck, and we go to the farm behind the house. As soon as I put her up, she already knows what she's doing. She's hunting. But that's the partnership that her and I have. She knows what she is with me, we're hunting. In the wild, these animals, they they really do. They pretty much, some struggle to survive. I mean, only 20 out of a hundred that will be hatched this year in 2023. Out of 100 hatched in the next couple months, only 20 of those will see their first birthday. And then only five of those will see their second birthday. They have an extremely high mortality rate. Um, the number one killer of raptors, of raptors is electricity. Unfortunately, it is human fault. A lot of them get zapped on power poles, that's it. Second leading cause of death is collisions. Now, now yes, collisions with a car, absolutely, but They could be going after a mouse or something and, you know, collide in some briar patches. A briar gets stuck in her eye. It leads to that eye getting infected. It leads to her losing sight of that eye. It leads to her not being able to hunt it successfully and die of starvation. A lot of birds, they just don't even learn how to hunt. So they starve pretty much right off the bat. (coughs) So the falconers, we trap these birds from the wild. We hone their hunting skills in over two, three, four seasons, and then we let them back go in the wild. But once they're released back into the wild, they are 10 times better off than when we trapped them. And the one and only thing that I can personally guarantee about the birds that I have with for the past seven years is once I release my bird back into the wild, that bird will not starve. And t- to me, th- that's a good feeling. Uh, you know, I'm blessed to say I hope nobody here listening to this has ever starved, but a lot of animals do. And it's a good feeling knowing that Hey, she may be getting hit by a car, she may be electrocuted, but that bird is not going to starve because she has proven to me close to 200 times in the past three seasons that that bird knows how to hunt. And that's, that's what it's about. So she will hopefully go find a mate and raise some other little squirrel killers. <laughs> but uh, That's about uh, all I got, Jason, man. Do you have any other questions?
0: Yeah, I, I've got a couple. <laughs> sure. um, okay, so man that's that that's a lot and very very interesting as well whenever you trap these birds on the side of the road what like you were talking about with with the trap how aggressive are these birds in the in the wild whenever whenever you first approach them what's the technique to 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 get them i guess you know where you can handle them and get them transported to
1: get them under control pretty much while during trapping Uh, You may have seen pictures with a, it's called a hood, that we put over the bird's head. Uh, Once we get to the bird on the track, we'll throw a towel over the whole bird where it can't see us. We'll expose its head as long as the feet are secure. And we put this hood over. And then we'll go down its body and grab its feet. I'm not worried about being bit, but you have to control those feet. Because once that, the first time that bird sets foot on the glove, it's going to show you how much power is in those feet. So we go to the bird throw the towel over it, grab this, get their feet under control with one hand, and then we put this hood on it. So once the hood is on it, it, it kind of just it blanks it out. It can't see anything. So it allows us to gently get the nooses off the bird's feet. We'll inspect the bird. If it's a bird we want to keep, then we'll go one direction. If it's a bird, we're like, oh, well, you know, this bird's too small, too fat, funny-looking, got weird-looking feet, looking at me funny. We'll just let it go no harm, no foul. If it's a bird that we keep, we will typically immediately put the anklets on it and put the jesses on it and then we'll hook it to the leash. We'll tie that leash to their glove. Like I said, my gauntlet is six layers of cow hide, uh top and bottom. So, once you take that hood off that bird and put it on your glove, of course it's going to try to fly away. It's called baiting. That's their attentive flight while tethered. And it may do that for Five seconds, it may do it for five minutes, but eventually that bird's going to stand on that glove. And nine times out of all the birds I've trapped, as soon as they stepped on my glove and got their balance, they grip down. And without a gauntlet, it could be extremely painful. Uh, you know, 350 PSI on eight hypodermic needle-sharp talons bearing into even my glove, um, I can just feel the sheer power of the pressure. Luckily, the talons did not pierce my glove. But it is, you gain a completely new realm of respect for these animals as a newbie, once you get that first full force of a redtail's grip. You know, and uh, one thing about their grip is in their toes, they have locking tendons. So if you can imagine using a, uh, let's say, imagine using a three-eighths drive ratchet, you can almost hear that ratcheting sound as the bird is releasing its pressure and you can also feel it once you can actually pull the toe up. But what that means is once they put all their power into their footing, it takes them no more power to hold that foot because those tendons are locked in place. In order for her to release, she's actually got to grab harder in order to release her feet. So it, it, it's very intimidating at first. It's scared to snot out of me, not going to lie. Uh, but we got through it. But they're pretty much like a wild fire-breathing dragon. they either want to get away from you or mess you up any way they can just to show you hey i may be a little bird a little dude compared to you but for the size of me i've got some i've got some weapons
0: <laughs> yeah sounds like it um so when you transport this bird from from the side of the road to your house or after you've trained it to your house to the woods to hunt i mean do you got a cage or a or uh, bird box or something you hauling in, or is it just sitting there on the seat next to you? I mean, <laughs> how are you transporting yeah. this thing?
1: That's a good question. It's called a uh, the it's called a giant hood. So the hood we put over the bird's head is called a hood. So the giant hood is just like a like you said. It's like, kind of like a dog box, man. I, I built it out of scratch. Um, dimensions may be 18 inches in width, two foot in depth, three foot tall, let's just say, for instance, and it's got a perch in it. And so when we take them home from the wild, typically we'll have all the equipment on them with the hood. And then we'll open the door to the our travel container, our giant hood, and kind of push on the back of their, of their feet on the perch. And they'll eventually step up on that perch. And they're blind, so they don't know anything, of course. They don't know any different. Pretty much you just shut the door and get home with them. Um, as for like when my bird and I go hunting like we did earlier today, we go from the mew, well, 40 yards to my vehicle and she already knows so she doesn't even attempt to fly cuz she knows hey I got to get in that in my box before I could fly and go hunting so she and but she you know I've had her for 3 seasons she knows that um so that's that's how we transport them from one place to another
0: okay the relationship with the bird and the dog um obviously the, some of the videos I've seen the the dog's tree and the bird goes to the dog where where it's treeing at, finds a squirrel and and captures the squirrel um how, how tough of how tough is that to get that relationship started between that bird and dog or was it just pretty much natural
1: uh, well with I think this was natural because I think my little dog he has a small natural fear of the animal of my red tail as it is right but when his is running through the woods and he's chasing a squirrel um let, let's just uh, talk about. Actually, let's see. I'm in number 59 for the season. It's 56 and 57. Both these squirrels ran down the back of the tree because the squirrel is more intimidated by the hawk than me and a dog that's on the ground. But there have been so many instances where her presence in that tree will make that squirrel run down the backside of the tree and run on the ground. Well, you know, the bird always goes for it. She's rarely misses, rarely misses on the ground. But on these two instances, She missed it, and of course my dog is right there chasing it. Well, when she misses, it takes her a minute to when you know it takes her five or six seconds to you know get two or three feet back up off the ground and start her pursuit again. Well, on these two catches, by that time, Commander, the dog, he caught both squirrels of these squirrels, right? So, of course, I'm kind of in freak mode because the bird don't care who's got the squirrel; she wants that squirrel for food. So, I'm start screaming, "Commander, please let it go!" You bell's coming at you well he didn't let go he's doing it he's just continuously death shaking the darn squirrel and by the time i got there my bird arrived right before i did commander had like almost the head and front shoulders in its mouth death shaking it and bell both times had both her feet on the hind legs of that squirrel so that just shows the respect of her not footing my dog instead of putting her foot on what she wanted to eat and of course when i got there Say commander, dude, let go, and he finally let go, and he doesn't get upset. He doesn't feel like he's been cheated. You know, the bird gets to squeeze the snot out of already a dead squirrel, and then you know commander come around back because he knows he gets a treat. So during hunting, I keep a little uh, a little tub of uh, what we call tidbits is cut up squirrels. You know that's how I feed her during the hunt, and commander always gets him a couple of tidbits so every single hunt, but he gets more tidbits when he catches a squirrel. <laughs> so that's kind of how they respect each other you know commander's not going to run in if she catches one first commander is not going to run in and try to take it from her but if he catches it first it seems like i've got to get there first too in order for him to release it
0: yeah well that that i'm glad you you told that the way you did because that that's what i thought i thought well what happens if the dog catches it first does the does, yeah does the bird try to catch the dog or you know but yeah that's that's obviously they they definitely have a working relationship okay my other question, is, is there some type of competitions that, that y'all, y'all compete in with these or is this just a pleasure style sport only?
2: Are you tired of whipping, scolding and shocking to make them get alone? Is your buddy tired of helping you set your dog up for correction night after night? Do you really want your dog to be alone because you forced him to be? Or would you rather him be alone because he wants to be? Grand Knight Champion Small Town Lone Survivor is the product of over 25 years of strong natural born independent traits. This bold trait has been passed down from generation to generation and is showing up in Loner Offspring today. Loner is a direct son of Hall of Fame Grand Knight Champion Cabin Creek Rowdy and Grand Knight Champion Lonesome Dove Lori. Loner has a booming mouth that is talked about in every cast he has been in, including the 2021 World Hunt Finals. Loner is a no-reverse, ball mouth open trailer who ends it plussed up with a huge dying locate and steady chop. Loner loves getting split and is a stay-put gun-pressure tree dog. Loner's intelligence is also impressive. He knows over 12 voice and hand signal commands, Loner has a character that loves like Jesus, but he doesn't walk on water. If you're interested in breeding to Loner, contact Brett Stevens at Small Town English Kennels at 417-300-3777 or find him on Facebook.
0: If you're interested in running a stud ad for your dog here on the Coonhound Collective podcast, reach out to us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Send us a message through Facebook or Instagram, and we'll be glad to get with you to get you an ad built and get you pricing on all of our ads.
1: Yeah. Um, so we don't have competitions. What we have are meets. Uh, so I am competitive, but I'm only competitive with myself. I don't I don't go to another stock and be like. You you want to call it 27 squirrels? Ha, I'll call it 70. You know, that's not the mentality of a falconer. You know, um, as long as you hunt your bird the way it should be hunted and it catches game, that's that's what it is for me. But as for competition, there's really no competition between falconers. Excuse me. But we do have meets. Like NAPA is North American Falconer Association, which I was fortunate enough to attend back in 2022. Excuse me. 2021, and it was in uh, Lone Wolf, Oklahoma, kind of middle of the United States, and there was probably 300 plus falconer from all over the world there. You know, so every species of falconry birds were there from you know falcons, eagles. We I didn't see the first owl, but we had a ton of falcons, eagles, and hawks because out out in Oklahoma, you know, you have a better duck population and waterfowl and birds for the falcons, and you have jackrabbits for the uh, for the uh, for the hawks, so you know, as stalkers, we just go out. <laughs> excuse me, we go out together. One bird flies their hawk for let's say two hours. If you know, uh, pretty much, we like to at least give them enough opportunity to get a flush. You know, so if we flush a couple of jacks and the bird either catches or don't catch, you know, uh, we'll just put that bird up and get another one out. So <laughs> excuse me, we have meats, but <laughs> it's not competition. So here in Georgia. We have Georgia Falconer Association, which I am actually a member and actually on the board of directors. You could just Google Georgia Falconer Association com, and it shows everything about what we as Georgia Falconer Association members—that's well, what we stand for. In Falcon. So you can check that out.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, man, that's uh, that that's some interesting stuff. That, like I said, whenever I seen your Instagram, I. I thought, man, this this is cool. I've got to talk to this guy and get get some more information on it because I, I had no idea. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be some some of my listeners out there. Maybe they have heard of it. Maybe they haven't. But um, I've almost kept you an hour. I know it's hard to believe, but it's it's almost been an hour. And I don't want to keep keep you too much longer here. But I would like if you if you wouldn't mind to plug your social so people could go over and follow you and kind of kind of get an idea of what what I've seen uh, there on your Instagram and, and, uh, kind of see what, what this is all about.
1: Okay. I believe my Instagram is apprentice falconer. I think I'm looking now. I I think, yeah. Apprentice falconer, uh, is my Instagram. Uh, unfortunately I'm on my like third ban from TikTok. So I don't recommend that, you know, everything I put on there is completely nature, but we all know what's on TikTok and that's allowable, but my raptor hunting is, you know, somewhat uh, offensive. Whatever, you know, so, you know, Instagram, I post pretty good bit on. I do have a YouTube channel. Um, you just have to search Ben 4x4's channel, B-E-N-S 4x4 possibly as channel, and it should come up with me. I'm holding a picture of a beautiful eastern turkey. That's that. That's me. That's the Ben Hill you need to find. But um, I got a slight. I didn't do any filming this year, and I'm very embarrassed for that. Uh, Facebook, Benjamin Hill, I believe. Uh, probably post more on that than anything, uh, other than the Snapchat, which Snapchat will be coyote killer. Hey, uh, sorry with a K, you know, prior to falconry, I was a huge, uh, predator hunter, but, uh, kind of took back over to falconry.
0: (laughs) So That's how you can contact. Okay, great. Uh, and I'll try to go through there and, uh, get links and put in the show notes so people make it easier for people to go over and and take a look at it and all. And, and I was going to mention to you, you mentioned about TikTok banning you. Um, and I've done a podcast with the guy that, that owns the app, runs the app, but there's an app called go wild and it's for hunters and you can post stuff like your falcony and tree. What we should be able to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, What, what we should be able to, but (laughs) you can do it over there uncensored and they don't you know, they don't, they don't cut any of that stuff out. It's it's a cool app. I I, I don't use it. it. It's called go wild. I don't use it as much as I should, but, um, I do use it some and I, and I do like it. It's a lot of hunting content. That's, that's all pretty much. that's over there. Um, uh, of all different kinds. So, well, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today and I'll shoot you a text message and let you know, uh, when this will be out with the link so you can follow the podcast and uh man i I really appreciate you sharing your sport with us today and and getting this information out to the public
1: jason i really appreciate you getting in touch with me man i I truly do this has been fun
0: all right buddy thank you so much and we will talk at you later
1: have a good evening sir Uh thank you jason yep
0: bye-bye thanks guys for listening to the coonhound collective podcast today we really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast if you don't mind head over to facebook and give us a like and head over to instagram and give us a follow it's both at the coonhound collective also if you would like to reach us here at the coonhound collective you can reach us at the coonhound collective at gmail.com if there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about please send it to the coonhound collective at gmail.com thanks again have a great day